The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Marguerite Steinheil and her sexual escapades across early 20th century France and the trail of bodies left in her wake. Yikes. <laughs> kind of. If you haven't heard part one, you got to go back and hear that. Some of that episode, uh, which is Marguerite Steinheil and Felix Fur, the president of France, uh, a lot of that's going to lead into what happens in part two of her life, which we're going to talk about today. So welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah. If you did hear part one, welcome back. Or if you're a regular listener of the show, welcome back. Either way, happy to have you. If you're a new listener, hey. Hello. How you doing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who is that? Way to catch our eye from across the room. Yeah, for real. We can see you right through the camera in your phone. It's watching you, by the way. <laughs> and we have creepy. access. <laughs> that got creepy out of nowhere. Uh, but so happy to have you today. Hope everybody's doing well. Mm-hmm. 
But before we jump into the second part of Marguerite's life and sexcapades, <laughs> we got a great comment on our uh, Instagram uh, post about Linda Riss and Bert Pugash. Oh, our yeah. Recent terrible episode. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess the episode is good. No, but yeah, the episode's story. great. The story is a nightmare. It's <laughs> <Tad> horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And uh, uh, look, it's Steph G commented. This guy put the dick in ridiculous. I cannot with this man. <laughs> Which That's we just so had good. to share. It's a great joke. I know. I wish we had thought that during the episode. That was quick thinking, Steph. Good job. Um, and also said, also hear me out. Could this have been the inspiration behind Harley Quinn? Because this story has a real Joker Harley feel to it. This is too good. This is a very good speculation station. Yes. Steph G. I mean, mm. come on. You got acid in the face. Mm-hmm. You got, uh, you know, abusive relationship. relationship. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, Girl who's way too good for the guy. True. Not sure true. how she got all wrapped up in him. And he's like a sociopath who doesn't care about the well-being of other people and only cares about getting what he wants. <laughs> right. It's a little, it's too good. It might be and accurate. Not to mention, uh, the first appearance of Harley Quinn, I believe, was Batman the Animated Series, and that was 1992, I think her episode aired. Joined the comics the next year, I believe, and that is just prime Boogash time, because Gross. that's uh, <laughs> that's that is definitely shortly after them being a huge media sensation. Mm. Um, so yeah, I could totally see those comics writers at least having read the Poogash story because everyone in America did, right? And thought, you know, even if it wasn't deliberate, it was in their minds. It must right. have been. At least, at the very least, they were like acid in the face, some kind of weird love love relationship. Yes. Something. I think I think Steph is on the money with this personally. Steph's got it. We're going to have to ask what to type into DC Comics. Yeah, we'll ask. <laughs> and ask. <laughs> we got to get uh, Margot Robbie to do the the Linda Riss story. Oh my movie. god. Who would play Pugash? I don't want Jared Leto to get him out. No. I don't know. I feel like it'd be insulting to name anyone. That's fair. Well, Margot Robbie as every character. Th- I'm, I'd watch I'm it. I'm fine with it. I'd watch it. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd let her give it a whirl. Margot Robbie as Linda Riss, Tilda Swinton <laughs> as Burt Pugash. I buy it. I'm, I'm buying in. it. So thanks so much for sending that, Steph. Yeah, uh, that Number was one great. fan. You're awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, very exciting stuff. Good so stuff. enough about the Pugashes. They're mm-hmm. old news. Yeah. Let's get back to Meg and her husband, Adolf Steinhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, the second half of their story, which is crazier than the first? I don't know. It was worthy of its own episode. It certainly was. Y'all be the judge. (laughs) Uh, Let's get the music going and get started. I'm ready. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So just a quick recap of the last episode, in case it's been a minute since you've heard it. Uh, Let's see. So Marguerite Steinheil, uh, she married a painter named Adolf, and they moved to Paris together, had this really nice life. She was going to these salons, all these fancy artists and stuff. They had a daughter, and shortly afterwards they had a falling out. And they decided that they were going to continue living together, but they would lead totally separate lives. She went off and started having affairs with these 
prominent politicians and famous artists and just like big social figures of the day. One of them being the president of France. Oh, wow. Felix Faure. And they had quite an experience together. He brought her in for help writing his memoirs. Mm -hmm. And she helped him take care of all these political affairs because she knew who's who and what's what. And she was in all these fancy meetings. And even even she would go to Senate hearings and things. And she could always kind of keep her ear to the ground and tell him sort of what the lay of the land was and how to maneuver politically. But she wasn't political. <laughs> but she's not political. Guys. Yeah, she said. Not political at all. Not political. I'm just steering <laughs> France in a particular political direction. Being political. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he died while she was giving him a blowjob. That's the long and short of that's it. The, yeah. I mean, you know, without any sugar on it. Yeah, that <laughs> that's is just what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, things actually kind of started to go better for her. Everybody wanted one of these killer BJs. So she starts having more affairs with uh, prominent figures. And that pretty much, uh, I mean, go back and listen to part one if you hadn't heard it, because that's not telling you everything. But that pretty much leads us up to where we are today. So, yeah. So Marguerite's living her best life since she brought the president to his knees <laughs> and his end of his life. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, whose knees was who? Whose knees? Who was on whose knees here? Best not to linger on that. Uh, very <laughs> fancy gentlemen are calling on her. As usual, her husband has no interest in what's going on. Because, again, they're living separate lives. Yeah. It had also become something of a tradition for her gentleman friends to go to Adolf and buy or commission a portrait. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, this is working out great for me. You keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Or I guess you keep doing who you're doing. Yeah. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so she's on top of the world. And she continues to collect state secrets and influence matters of the Republic in her salon and in bedrooms across Paris. <laughs> <laughs> right. But one day, her husband Adolf came into her room, which was unusual. Right. Because uh, in part one, we learned that they would cordially greet each other. They would have breakfast together, things like that. You know, they didn't not speak. But any matters of import, anything that was like a necessary conversation, they decided they would put it in writing to each other. Mm. I guess they just wanted to keep a record. No. Remember, I told you <laughs> that they were coming to paint the house tomorrow, mm -hmm. so you can't have friends over. It's right here in ink. Uh, not a bad form of communication. I mean, certainly keeps things clear, right? I mean, especially if you're having issues with your spouse. Yeah. Or a boss. I mean, or anyone. Yeah. Get it in writing. Keep yeah. it in writing. Yeah. So you have receipts. Exactly. Very important. Yep. So that's what they had been doing, but he comes in to speak to her about something important. So this was a little unusual, and... He's like, what's going on? He says, look, I know we mostly write to each other, but hey, I know that you've got some papers belonging to the president. This is surprising because he probably wouldn't know about this, but she did. Felix Farr had given her a ton of documents uh, while she was helping him write his memoirs. Mm -hmm. Really important state paperwork and journals and, you know, pr probably pretty valuable stuff if you were looking to influence politics. She says, I know you have these papers. And also, uh, do you happen to have a really fancy pearl necklace? Yeah. Uh, if you recall from part one, the pearl necklace that Felix gave her and said, here, have this beautiful necklace, Marguerite. And she was like, oh, thank you, I guess. <laughs> and then he came back to her later and said, oh, my God, 
You can't ever tell anyone that you have that necklace. It will ruin my political career and I have to leave France. Please hide it away forever. I never want to see it again. What the fuck is going on with this necklace? Right? Adolf shouldn't know about it, but no. here he's asking her about it. Marguerite says she just stayed silent, and Adolf said, uh, this guy just came to talk to me. He's got a strong German accent, and he says he saw you leave the president's palace with paperwork all the time, so he knows about that. Mm-mm. And he says you've got this necklace, and he knows every detail about this necklace. He says, look, if you don't give it to him, he will ruin you and me and our daughter, Marta. We're totally screwed if we don't give him this necklace. So just give me the necklace and I'm going to give it to him. He said, the whole affair is so dreadful that if you don't hand me the pearls, I give you my word of honor that I shall commit suicide. Damn. This is intense. This necklace is fucking... This this is the one ring, isn't it? Yes. It's like the mystery (laughs) of the ages. Like, what? Maybe that's why he didn't write it down. Like, he was like, I need to tell you in person because we can't have no paper trail about this. That's what I'm thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Speculation station. So, it's spooking Adolf out. This is a lot. Yeah. But Marguerite is like, I ain't nobody's patsy. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, no, this is just blackmail. I'm not going to be blackmailed. Yeah. And Adolf's like, no, he doesn't want the full necklace, actually. He Mm -hmm. wants the necklace to be unstrung. And us to sell him the pearls individually. And he says he'll never talk about it again. So it's not like he wants to, like, reveal the mystery of this necklace. Yeah. He's got something else going on. You're not blackmailing someone if you're paying them for what they're giving you. Right. (laughs) He's like, he wants to purchase it. Yeah. I will blackmail you if you don't sell it to me. (laughs) It's sort of a second degree blackmail. (laughs) It's like a nicer form of blackmail, I guess. Yeah. Because you yeah. still get the value of the thing. It's like but you're still being threatened. <laughs> I'm warning you that I will blackmail you. Ah, uh, in the for future, now, I'll pay you for it. So anyway, Meg's like, fine, whatever. She she rips the necklace apart. I'm picturing, you know, Batman's <laughs> family in an alley. <laughs> They're Pearls just scattered across. scattered about the alleyway <laughs> of their house. Oh, I guess. You better not lose one of those pearls, though. <laughs> and uh, and she t- keeps ten pearls for herself she goes you can you can give him the rest but you let him know i'm keeping these 10 these are mine and the next day adolf comes back to meg and he says okay he's allowing you to keep those 10 pearls he said this fine and meg of course is like oh is he allowing me oh my god thank you (laughs) so much not scared of this guy (laughs) she's like i've seen it all my friend um, let me go through my Rolodex real fast yeah. and show you how many incredibly rich, powerful, influential people I know, uh-huh. and you can try to make me pee my pants again, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I've, I've been through some shit. I had a dead yeah. president's dick in my mouth. So a little pearl necklace yeah. blackmail what is else? not- <laughs> What worse could you do to me than that? <laughs> so she don't care, but the German- comes by every couple of months and he goes to Adolf and he says alright show me the pearls and he has to show him that they're all there and he says okay now I will buy five or six of them and he would do that and then he'd go on his merry way and then three or four months later he'd come back and do the same thing and eventually the pearls run out and they're thinking okay we're all done necklace is gone and out of our lives and the German comes back and he says you know what I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Mind, mind. Mind, mind. Mind, mind. And I would like the other ten pearls, please. Mm. And he's so polite. (laughs) Yeah, 
is German. I will blackmail you, but I will pay you. But please give me this. <laughs> please. Bon thank you. <laughs> so Adolf goes and tells Meg, who has never met the German. She's never met the guy at all. It's mm-hmm. all been done through Adolf. And Adolf tells her, you know, he wants the other ten. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Just wait, désolé, mais... Did you not hear when I told him to get bent and I'm keeping these ten pearls? <laughs> so Adolf oh, is like pretty... Lost in sp- translation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so Adolf is pretty spooked to this guy. He's like, oh, okay, I will go tell him, but this is not going to go well. And uh, the German ends up leaving and never shows up again. Hmm. So Meg is dusting off her hands like, yeah, that's how you handle a blackmailer. <laughs> you tell him to fuck right off. <laughs> Grow a spine, Adolf. <laughs> yeah, she never did find out who he was, according to her autobiography. Um, she suspected that he was probably a professional blackmailer, which mm. I guess is uh, more polite than an amateur blackmailer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and her belief was that the necklace belonged to some foreign prince that the French president should not have been associating with. Right, right. She thinks they were at some kind of gambling party. And Felix won a game against this prince or whatever, and the necklace was the stake. And then after he gave it to Marguerite, he found out that the necklace was, like, stolen or something like that. Right. Uh, And so her thought was that Felix was worried that if word got out, it would be disastrous for both Felix and the foreign prince possibly also for their governments, depending on whom it was stolen from. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just agreed to never speak of it again and hide it away and everything. But that was that. that's her speculation station. So like, yeah, so uh, so Felix goes in and is like, I want this necklace. Here, I give it to you. And then he gets the phone call. Hey, that necklace is fucked up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, shit, I already gave it to my girlfriend. He's like, well, you better tell her to hide it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, that's uh, that's the curse of the necklace, we guess. But I don't know. It's hard to say. Right. Uh, you know, again, that's her from her autobiography. That's what she said she thinks probably happened. Who knows? The mystery endures. So it's 1907 now. It's been a few years. Marguerite going out on the town and getting her state secrets and influencing politics and dating all these guys. And things are starting to slow down. Adolf, who's almost 30 years older than her, was kind of getting old and sickly, and he wasn't bringing in much money for his art anymore. He couldn't quite produce at the same speed he used to, obviously. And Meg has had some really remarkable relationships with several wealthy aristocrats and politicians, but the thing is, none of them will commit to her, and she's kind of starting to look for this. Mm -hmm. She saw a wealthy widower And he even rented out this villa in the countryside near Paris for them to kind of hang out and have this discreet affair. He's like, well, let let us not sneak around the city all the time. Let's just go get a place somewhere where we can be ourselves and away from the prying eyes of the press and things like that. classic line. It's like, honey, let's just go away somewhere where nobody knows us. Yeah, right. (laughs) We can just be the two of us ourselves, you know? And she's like, what What do you is shame to be a scene with me? Yeah, you don't want anyone to see us together. (laughs) So rude. So rude. And eventually he left her, whether she just didn't want to do that lifestyle anymore or whether he just got bored with her, we don't know, but it didn't end well. Another man had fallen for her, but when he met Adolf in person, when she brought him to go maybe commission a portrait from him, Mm -hmm. and he meets this kind of old man who's not doing so well, and he's a real sweet guy, 
and he just felt too guilty. He felt too sorry for him, and was like, "I can't, I can't keep sleeping with this guy's, with this old man's wife." Marguerite's like, "I've got to stop getting with these principled adulterers." <laughs> right, <laughs> just like that polite blackmailer, you know. Yeah, so many manners. Another guy comes along, and his name is Maurice Bordorel. This guy was super wealthy. He's a cool dude, and he was also a widower. And he had genuinely fallen in love with Marguerite. And their relationship was really strong for a few months, so much so that she even considered marrying him, leaving Adolf, divorcing Adolf, and marrying Maurice. But Maurice said, Oh, this will not work for me because I have two sons and a daughter. And all of their marriage prospects could be really put at risk if their stepmother is a divorcee. Because that was oh, the worst thing you could be at the Disgusting. time. If you'd been discarded by a man, then what's wrong with you? Right. So even to have a divorcee as a stepmother would have screwed up the kid's life. Like, that's... It's a lot. So ridiculous. It's a lot. So he left her too. And she was really heartbroken about that one. So Meg's pretty dejected. Um, she's at their home in Paris. And uh, Meg and Adolf's daughter, Marta, was 17 years old at this time. She's away from home because she's engaged now. So she's got her own life going on. Mm-hmm. And Adolf had invited a man over who wanted to purchase a portrait of the current president, Armand Fallier, mm-hmm. who Meg was not sleeping with. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> And Meg says that Adolf was deliberately trying to keep her from seeing this man, but she bumped into him, and he was a foreigner who she describes in incredibly anti-Semitic terms yeah, in it's, her book. Yeah, it's not good. It's very, not a good look. <laughs> yeah, Meg, come on. on Meg. And so, so anyway, so she bumps into him in the private halls of their home. You know, so there's parts of the home that people are allowed to go to, and then there's parts that aren't. You know, there's yeah. like there are their bedrooms and stuff uh-huh. like that. So it's considered incredibly rude uh, as a guest to be going poking around in the part of the house you're not supposed to be in. In fact, I'll add that this hallway was actually hidden by a tapestry, and the guy who was in there knew to pull this tapestry back and walk down the hallway. Uh-huh. And she was like, "How does he even know?" Yeah, she says in her weird. book that it was very well hidden, and you'd have to know it was there to pull back this tapestry. Ooh. Yeah. So someone would have told him. Yes, or he'd seen it before. Mm. Well, that made her real nervous. Uh-huh. She thought maybe he knows the way to the boudoir where all of those presidential documents from Felix Farr were yeah. stored. Yeah, that's valuable shit. And that's like some private, you know, political stuff yep. that she's like, I'm trying to keep that secret and safe. Mm-hmm. And she said when she saw him in the light and heard his German accent, <gasps> she knew it was the same guy who'd been blackmailing them for these pearls. Oh, my goodness. And Adolf admitted, yes, it is the same guy, but he wouldn't tell her anything else about him. She's like, uh, this is the guy who's blackmailing us, right? Uh, wait. Oui. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> What's he doing here? Who is he? What does he want? Why are you selling him a painting? I'll write you a letter. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so that is weird, though. That is this super German weird. German guy's like, I'm going to buy pearls for a few years, yeah. then stop contacting you. Then uh-huh. I'm going to come back asking for a painting of a of this president uh-huh. that you may or may not have already made and then go poking around in your private areas in your house. I speculation station, you know, how long had he been talking to Adolf? Did he really ever disappear? 
Mm. Did they continue they talking? Keep contact. Uh, Adolf would seem to be so scared of him. I wonder if he was just like playing him like a fiddle and just like, okay, no, we're going to, we're going to be friends. You know what? Hey, you know what? I'll buy one of your paintings actually. Oh, you know, last time I came over to get some of those pearls, I noticed that you had some beautiful paintings. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like the president. Will you paint me one of him if I bring you a photograph of him? Mm. And all the while he knows maybe he saw Adolf go behind that tapestry to go get the pearls and come back each time. And he's like, I know where that she's keeping those papers and I'm going to find my way into that house and I'm going to get those documents. Like, that's all I can think, maybe, is the situation here. But Could be. In either case, in 1908, the next year, Meg's mother came to visit her. And after a long day on May 30th, Meg, Adolf, and her mother, Emily, all went to bed in separate rooms. Adolf was sleeping in his room, Meg was sleeping in their daughter Marta's room, and she gave her mother her own room for the night. The next morning, Adolf's valet, Remy Couillard, Woke up to start his day. Ah, it's a beautiful morning. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go get this old man's coffee. Uh, I'm going to live in this artist's house. What a great life I have uh, as a valet. (laughs) He goes downstairs from his attic bedroom, and he hears the muffled screams of Marguerite coming from Marta's room. He says, I know it's Marguerite because Marta's out of town. He entered the room, and he found Meg tied to Marta's bed, stark naked. Ah! And she shouted at him as soon as he opened the door, there's intruders in the house. What? So Remy freaks out. He runs to the window. He throws it open. He says, help. Aidez-moi. <laughs> need some help up here. Police, à moi. So uh, two nearby policemen heard him, and they came running up into the house. Uh, they go in. They, they look around. They don't find any intruders. They help Marguerite untie from the bed, and they find the dead bodies of Adolf and Emily, Meg's mother, both dead in their beds from suffocation. Damn. Left turn. I mean, sharp out of nowhere. All of a sudden, there's just, they're dead. Yikes. You know, I mean, like, Meg hasn't had enough going on. Now she's got to deal with this. Her story is that she was awakened in the middle of the night with a revolver to her head. Terrifying. Uh, Three men and a red-headed woman were standing over her and said, Tell us where your parents' money is. They're all dressed in black, and they had lanterns. Yeah, they had these long black cloaks on, she said. They were like seamless, no collars, no frills, just like straight black Mm -hmm. robes. She pointed to the boudoir where the money was, and the woman said, Come on, girl, be good. Tell us where the jewels are. And Meg is just begging them not to hurt anyone, And they covered her face, and they tied her to the bed, and she was struck on the side of the head. And she heard the woman say, finish her off. And another man say, no, leave the girl alone. Yikes. And she said the ropes that they tied her up in were tied in such a way that if she moved her arms, it tightened the knot around her neck. Ooh. Which is so crazy. Oh, I know, right? So probably a Boy Scout. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things they teach you in Boy Scouts. <laughs> Eagle Scouts know how to do this. <laughs> um, and she says she has no idea what happened next. She assumed that Emily and Adolf were both alive and similarly just gagged and tied up like like she was. Right. She says it was quiet everywhere else, so she just assumed that's what happened. She never thought they could have been killed. So she had described to police these long black gowns that they were wearing, these black cloaks. And shockingly enough, 
a nearby theater had said that those exact clothes had been stolen from them just six hours earlier, that very night. When the story gets out, public opinion immediately had her pegged as being the mastermind of this. Nobody believed that she was just an innocent bystander. They're like, oh, this girl... She already killed the president. What's to stop her from killing her husband and her mother? You know, again, unfair to say she killed the president. <laughs> know, okay, she didn't. <laughs> she she didn't but just... you know how people are. Oh, I do. Especially when you know how people are. The rumors start, but it totally split Paris once again. Just like the Dreyfus affair had, you know, pit people against each other. Everybody picked a side. It was the Steinheil affair. Same situation. Everybody said either she was innocent or she was the killer herself. And honestly, police weren't really doing that much work on the case. They had kind of more or less abandoned the investigation. I mean, you know how police are. They're like, mm. yeah, we'll get around to it. Uh, we got a lot. Of, yeah. Yeah, we got they, a lot going on over here. Yeah. What is that Big Lebowski quote? Yeah, they got us working in shifts <laughs> <laughs> on your stolen car. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get right on it. I mean, they, they're like, we got no leads. We got nothing. And she's like, what about the, the stolen cloaks? That's huge. There was a break-in at a theater and right, costumes were stolen. Lead. And then those same costumes showed up in my house. That's huge. How can you not follow that? And they're just giving her the runaround like, oh, you got to stop bothering us. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're going on. And she's like, look. This whole time that you guys are piddling around, Mm -hmm. not doing any work, everybody's blaming me for this murder, and I'm really sick of it. And this is like weeks, if not months, are going by Mm -hmm. with no action being taken and and a ton of people just blaming her for it. She's like, I'm sick of this. I got to make sure somebody else gets the blame here, so we got to get to work. And Mm -hmm. so maybe she decided to embellish the story a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Adolf's valet, Remy Couillard, who had discovered her, he was an easy target to point a finger at. <laughs> oh, no. She said, you should check his pocketbook. I know he's been stealing from us. And he's like, what's with the drive-by? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I what? fucking bring you coffee every morning. I'm doing I mean, my... Come on, it's not my fault I saw you naked. <laughs> come on. I think that's all it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, well, I can't have someone going around Ugh. describing my boobs. <laughs> She's French. She's probably like, please draw my boobs. (laughs) Uh, And sure enough, when they checked, they found a very fancy and distinctive pearl that looked like it had been removed from a ring (gasps) in Remy's possession. Remy! And Meg's like, whoa, that's definitely a pearl from one of my rings that was stolen. And of course, he's like... Uh, no, I did not steal any ring. I did not steal a pearl. I'm totally innocent. Oh, come on, Remy. Then what are you doing with that pearl? What are you doing with the right pearl, Right there in Remy? your pocketbook. Uh, so, but this is new evidence. The case blown wide open. Yeah. There's pictures of Remy and the pearl in the papers. And they're like, extrait, extrait. <laughs> Valet steals jewels and murders his boss. Pearl found as evidence. And everyone in Paris is uh, saying it better than me and also reading about it, (laughs) (laughs) including a nearby jeweler who thought something was a little suspicious about this story. So he walks right down to the police station and says, "Uh, Excusez-moi, I recognize this pearl. Madame Steinheil asked me to remove it from one of her rings two weeks after the murder happened. 
that is where a commercial would be if this was a television show. Ooh. So we should also do a commercial right now. Yeah. Because it's a cliffhanger, and I know you're coming back. We will be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So holy shit, Meg just <laughs> totally made up this story about Remy Collard stealing the pearls. She totally slipped evidence into his pocketbook. That is crazy. That is outrageous. It's not, very suspicious also for oh, her to do. Yeah. So shady. Right? She's like, I'm trying to prove to society that it wasn't me, so I'm going to go manufacture evidence. And falsely accuse. Yeah. And didn't even cover your tracks very well. I mean, come on, you got to kill the jeweler if you're going to do that. Or go out of town. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go yeah. go to a jeweler oh, yeah, yeah. out of town. Yeah. Don't go to the one down the street. What are yeah. you crazy? Yeah. So, 
you know, the police are like, uh, damn, woman, for real? You're just going <laughs> to bring us this, like, really poorly put together evidence like this? She's like, wait, 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 wait. Did I say Remy Couillard? No, 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 no. That's not it. That's a good. We love him. He brings me coffee every morning. He's great. <laughs> He's on my boobs. He's a good guy. <laughs> but, oh, but you know what? We got this housekeeper. Her name is Mariette Wolf. And, uh, you know, she and her son, Alexander, they're always sneaking around the house. They're always trying to see which stairs make noise and how they can keep quiet and not wake us up and shushing each other and just acting very strange. Oh, yeah. Why would a housekeeper want to keep (laughs) quiet around the house when they get up probably six or eight hours before you do every day to clean your fucking house? Right. She's like, oh, these boards are very squeaky. Let me make sure that I fix them for the owner of the house who's paying me to take care of the house, to keep the house. And Marguerite's over there like, so suspicious. (laughs) So she tells the police to keep an eye on Mariette and her son. And Mariette catches word of this, and she corners Meg, and she's like, the hell you just say about me? (laughs) You say a word about my son, and I will spill the absolute tea about (laughs) you and all your boyfriends, lady. I know what you've been up to. Yeah, don't fuck with servants, man. They know uh, everything. She's got the deets. And that kind of shuts Marguerite up for a second. I bet. (laughs) But then there's some reporters harassing Meg one day. They're just grilling her with, like, accusatory questions. They're insisting that she confess, confess, confess. You know you killed your husband and your mother. Damn. Yeah, that's a great way to get an honest report out of something. (laughs) It's going to work out really well. (laughs) You just harass someone until they tell you what I want to hear. That'll sell you papers. <laughs> exactly. That's really what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Journalism at its finest. <laughs> and she said she was huddled on the ground nearly in tears and that she just blurted out just to shut him up. Alexander, Alexander Wolf is the murderer. And reporters are like, oh, shit, for real? <laughs> <laughs> I think that shut him up real quick. <laughs> right? I guess that story worked for him. Uh-huh. And she tells him, You've got to go tell him so he has a chance to run. <laughs> She's like, oh, so you want me to commit a crime? Right, <laughs> and yeah. like help a murderer get away with something? <laughs> but the reporters ask her if Alexander's mother, Mariette, knows anything about it, to which she said, oh, she's watching us. She'll probably turn against me and make up all kinds of stories. Wow. Really? Oh, my she's, God. She's covering she's her bases. She's in front of, of, in front of, of Mariette. Yep, yep. She goes, but I did not ask Wolf to do it. He terrorized me and said if I confessed that it was him, he'd just claim that I was the one who told him to do it in the first place. And he's threatened to kill me since. Wow. How convenient. Yeah, she really did try to get in front of this whole thing. Of like, well, yeah, whatever they tell you, I'm going to tell you first so that it doesn't sound real. Yeah. And it's <laughs> classic, like, mm-hmm. classic liar move. <laughs> right. Also pretty lame that she's just going after their servants know, and stuff. It's right? Like, she's really looking for like the most powerless people in yeah. the situation and being like, let me point my finger at you because you can't do anything about it, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are willing to believe things about believe. you. Yeah. 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 It's fucked up. So Meg goes and tells the police next about this because she got to keep the story going at this mm-hmm. point. And they're like, really? <laughs> like, really, though? Because last time your little lead wasn't so good. I know. We immediately debunked that very quickly. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes, no, I'll never be able to prove what I said. Because it's, it's a lie. <laughs> <Just> well, <kidding. 
That's not what she said. No, no, no. She said, I'll never be able to prove what I said, so just kill me. Just bring me some strychnine so I can kill myself. She asked the police for strychnine to kill herself as a way of emphasizing that she wouldn't be able to prove her own story. Meg. Come on. First of all, I guess threatening suicide is a common dramatic French reaction to things <laughs> know, right? back then. Because everyone is just like, if you don't do it, I'll just kill myself. She, I so will drama. throw myself from the Eiffel Tower. What a diva. Yeah. <laughs> so the police are like, all right, we'll bring him in. And they go and they arrest Alexandra Wolf. And they bring him in. They question him, like, hey, she says that uh, you and your mother, you've been uh, making sure the boards don't squeak or whatever evidence they Whoa. are using to arrest him. <laughs> and he's like, uh, okay. He's, he says, okay, because he's a big guy. Oh, is, there's a drawing of him. He's, he looks like, you know, either a housekeeper's son or someone <laughs> who might kill somebody. I'm going to say that from the portraits, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't not suspect him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyway, he's way a big to judge guy. a book by its cover. Eli. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he comes in. He says, "Uh, yes, except the day of the crime, I had sold a horse in the morning. In the <laughs> afternoon, I was delivering it, and then I had a few drinks with the buyer. We spent the evening together in a cafe. We left around eleven thirty p.m. On my way home, I met a couple other friends, and we had late night drinks at another cafe. I didn't get back to my own house till around two a.m. And early the next morning, I sold another horse. <laughs> Police are like, uh, "Can we check? Can we check on those uh, alibis? Wait, they're all confirmed. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that story all checked out with everybody. Mm-hmm. Pretty rock solid alibi." And they're telling Meg, like, hey, uh, this whole Alexandra story isn't checking out. And she says, no, 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 he definitely came into my room. Or, I I mean, somebody who looked just like him, at least. So all of a sudden, now she's got a back door out of this. Like a doppelganger running around. <laughs> so, like, really? Come on, Meg. Girl, you're so full of random shit. I'd be more suspicious at this point. Yeah. She's making him more suspicious. She- they're like, yeah. what, why are you making up this story? She's like, well, look, the journalists, they were hounding me for a name. And one of them told me that, oh, the story about the black cloaks, that's not going to fly. That won't print well. So you got to come up with something else. So blame the journalists. I'm just a crazy widow. What do I know? I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, okay. Again, not looking good. No. And they're like, okay, Marguerite, but you're under arrest. Because she is a suspect. Because she's acting... Hella suspicious. Yeah, she's given <laughs> like, them two false accusations so far. She's just full of shit, you yeah. know, and they're like, okay. She planted easily disproven evidence and then told an easily right. disproven story. Yeah. So she's in Saint Lazare prison for a year before her trial happened. Okay, that's a bit much. That's a long time. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to hold people for that long. Yeah. All Don't right. get arrested in France, I've heard. <laughs> And Italy, I hear getting arrested in Italy is real bad news. Don't get arrested, period. Wherever <laughs> you're at, probably best to not be locked up. I think you can get arrested in, like, Sweden, and it's great. <laughs> it's like a day at the spa. It's like a little, you want a little vacation, you just go swipe a, a Butterfinger uh, <laughs> from a Swedish gas a, station. A what? A Butterfinger. Oh, a Butterfinger. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the f- Anyway. A booter finger. A booter finger. <laughs> a Swedish. 
Sweden's favorite candy bar. Anyway, the point is they want to rehabilitate you in Sweden, okay? Yeah. So the recidivism rate is very low. Yeah. Even though their prisons are very comfortable. Yeah. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> so she's arrested. She's languishing in prison for a year. The housekeeper, Mariette, is super pissed that Meg falsely accused her son sure. of murder. Makes uh, sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Get it? I think Validated. We can all, we can all get that. <laughs> So she starts throwing around some accusations of her own because she knows all of Meg's business, as we are aware. And so she sits down with the prosecutors and she's like, oh, I think that Meg was trying to get Adolf knocked off. Mm -hmm. Because remember Maurice Bordereau, who she was in love with, who wouldn't marry her because she would be a divorcee? Oh. Well, it's OK to be a widow. Isn't it? So oh, she's trying to get her old husband out of the way so she can get this wealthy man's ring on her finger. I mean, better motive than Alexandra or Remy ever had. I know, had. like letting some boards <laughs> creak around and she's like, now they're murderers. <laughs> That's a big... A Squeaky belief. boards. <laughs> so the case is the talk of the town. Of course. And when the trial starts, only 100 people are allowed in at a time. Hey, this thing is harder to get tickets to than a 2016 production of Hamilton, mm. right? <laughs> and it is... Which were very hard to get. <laughs> which were, if you don't know, if, if you, you, if you are unaware. unaware, very hard to get. So she gets in, the trial starts, and the judge is like, okay, Madam Steinel, let's start by going through all of your affairs. <laughs> and he just starts naming names. Bing, bang, boom, all the way down the list. Notably did not mention President Felix Four. I guess the judicial system was like, let's not erupt the government into this. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely pretty much everyone else. And she's like, he is not on my side. Mm -hmm. The judge already has his mind made up. She said before the trial even started, the judge said she was guilty. A New York Times report said he called her stories tissues of lies. Mm. And if you remember from part one, this guy, Truard Riol, who Meg called, quote, a well-groomed and boring poseur who seemed to think that every woman at once fell in love with him. Oh, yeah, that guy. A poseur. <laughs> He's like one of the first guys she met in the salon world. Well, guess who the prosecutor is in oh, her no. case? The well-groomed, boring poseur. <laughs> and he said, There are two women in that creature. The woman with the musical, enchanting, caressing voice who conquers and deceives. And the woman who threatens, attacks, and stops at nothing. Wow. He said there's no struggle or violence. He thinks the whole thing was an act. Mm. He said the lock was not tampered with. The key to the house was in the keyhole on the other side, on the inside of the house. Somebody had to have let these attackers in, and he thought it was Meg. He's like, she hates her husband. She's broke. She wants to marry this wealthy dude. Why did these so-called robbers leave a bunch of jewels behind? After they killed this guy. Yeah, because there was they, they took some, but there was a whole mess of stuff left, left. behind after, after the murder. And he's also like, and those ropes around her neck were so loose that she could have easily freed herself if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. So he's just, he's just flinging things out like, yeah. this don't make sense, this don't connect, this don't make sense, like, make it make sense. There's a lot that doesn't make sense. I mean, the thing about the keyhole inside the door, mm -hmm. that's very, like... Even if one of them had stolen a key and that's how they got in, they're not going to leave the key on the inside no. on their way out. 
oh, let me leave this for you. Uh, right? <laughs> it's very if polite. Anything. Again, I don't know. The blackmailer was very polite. <laughs> Maybe these robbers were also very like, well, I would hate to inconvenience you, but after I killed your mm-hmm. mother and father. It'd be like a mugger, like pistol whipping you, uh-huh. taking your wallet, but then giving you your license back. Yeah. It's so annoying to get that redone. You're going to need this. <laughs> I'm not a monster. I don't want you to sit at the DMV. My God. <laughs> so it's uh, it's quite a case they're building. So eventually they bring Marguerite. So she comes out on the stand and she is crushing it. She actually knows everything to say. Oh, you got a question? Boom, I got an answer. Sticking to my story about the black cloaks. Why'd you falsely accuse people? Oh, I was in the panic. How come they killed your mother and husband but left you alive when you had seen their faces? Shit, I think they wanted me to strangle myself. The ropes tightened around my neck every time I moved. Why was the rope around your neck so loose? Uh, no surprise, dummy. I didn't move. Uh, next question. <laughs> you know? Mm, that was a very rude answer. <laughs> she's just, she's handling it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like, the key from the inside of the house, she said that... The gardener, there was three keys, and the gardener had lost his three weeks ago. And she said that she had actually asked Adolf several times to change the locks, and he kept telling her, don't worry about it, it's no problem. So, you know, that makes sense. Kind of sounds like Adolf, but at the same time, here you go, I'm putting it on a dead guy, so you can't ask him. Yeah, it's (laughs) always someone else. It's just convenient, right? At one point during the trial... A young man named René Collard stepped forward and claimed he was the real assassin. But the judge later said, as quoted in the New York Times, This is nothing more than a joke. The inquiry has established that this was a crack-brained youth whose parents have stated that he followed the case passionately and has previously attempted to intervene. So just some. He just wanted some 15 minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. He wanted to see his name in the paper or something. It's always one of those, it feels like. Which is so weird to be like, let me go say I did a crime I didn't do. Uh-huh. But what? And then they're going to de- definitely find out that I didn't do it. I guess we're saying his name now, so he got what he wanted. Yes, it's just one of those things to me where I'm like, you know what? Some people are just glitchy NPCs. <laughs> you know, some people out there in the world, they're not thinking. They're mm-hmm. just running on a program, and every once in a while, they just glitch and do something crazy. It's the only explanation I can come up with. I mean, it's better than the other explanation, which is that uh, people are weird and crazy, well, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that's probably also true. Kind of the glitch. <laughs> true. Yeah, that that is a bit of a glitch. So the prosecution steps up and says... Okay, we're going to talk to the housekeeper. Uh-oh. But over the year that Meg was in jail, maybe they shouldn't have kept her in so long, because Marriott's attitude had totally changed, and she now refused to incriminate Meg. See, they should have gotten her while she was hot and angry. Right. They would have had everything they wanted to hear. But uh, at this point, she's like, no, that's my that's that's my girl, you know. She's like, I got really into meditation. I've decided not to hold grudges. <laughs> so the prosecution then says, oh, well, then they're probably in it together. Meg and the housekeeper. You know, oh, yes. Look, it was all a setup. Meg said, if we kill my husband, then I can go marry this rich guy and we'll bring you in as the new housekeeper. And then you got a fresh job with a younger guy. It'll last a lot longer. Aha. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, again, with the drive-bys, like, why why are you roping me into this? Mariette apparently caught wind of this and walked up to the stand and was like, excuse me, Mm -hmm. I understand that I am being accused of murder and, like, got really 
really pissed off about it. She's like, Of course. Yeah, she was not having it. They had to ask her to leave. I like Mariette. She's like, oh, oh she's what the fuck do you say to me? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mariette's like, I know you think I'm just a little housekeeper and I'm not going to do anything, but I will come for you. <laughs> There's this passage in Meg's book where she, uh, when Mariette confronts her after uh, she initially accused her son mm-hmm. and she's telling her, like, don't you say anything or I'll I'll tell him everything about you. And that conversation apparently ends with Mariette saying, I just need to go get drunk. That's the only thing I can do. I just have to get drunk, 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 drunk. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if that was Meg, like, trying to paint her in a bad light. Right. Or if Mariette's just fucking great like just that. Like, Mariette's you know just what? awesome. Let me go get a fucking cocktail with you people. I got one solution right now, <laughs> and that's to get a blackout drunk. <laughs> She's a wine mom. <laughs> <laughs> so Meg's defense attorney gets up, because it's their time to shine now, mm-hmm. and runs an absolute diss track on the prosecution. (laughs) Uh, Basically just painting Meg as this kind and attentive, devoted friend and even wife. He starts busting out all the letters from various friends and family members that he's got. Here's a letter from a friend about how kind she was to loan them some money. Here's a letter from her mom about how much they love each other. Here's one where her mom says... Try to learn, my adored one, to think of yourself and to forget wanting always to please others. Wow. Here's a testimony from a witness who says, Madame Steinheil was extremely kind and attentive to her husband and cared about his health, seeing to it that he followed the diet prescribed to him. Basically, he's like, if she wanted him dead, she could have just let him die. Yeah, this guy... By, like, letting him die from whatever he was sick of. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like, she was doing a lot of work to keep him alive. Like, why bother if she wanted him dead? What's the point of all that? I also love how many different countries that letter was from. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, France, a little... Russia... He's, Ireland. He's a uh, European, okay? <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, trans-European. He's trans-European. Just, yeah. He's like, I've been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, and if and if you don't think that she was attentive to her husband, mm-hmm. check out all of these letters they wrote to each other. Oh, shit. Constantly. I got them all right here. And he pulls out all these little notes and letters that between them because, remember... Everything important between them, they always put in writing. Put in writing. That was their whole deal. That shit paid off. Nice. Receipts. Right? (laughs) Always have the receipts. (laughs) And they probably didn't even care that it wasn't like love notes. It was just like, look, they communicate constantly. Right. Because... Because they weren't speaking to each other, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Like like, you don't know that. (laughs) uh Yeah, we're gonna leave that part out. Uh That's awesome. These letters between her and her mom, like, mm-hmm. there's no reason she would have murdered her mother, too. They, that's that's one of the key elements of this whole case is even if she wanted to kill her husband, mm-hmm. why would she kill her mother? Yeah. And initially, the prosecution tried to paint it as a witness thing, and they realized that wasn't going to play over. Like, oh, she saw her kill her husband, so she had to kill her, too. But that didn't fly. And honestly, the prosecution kind of tried to just downplay the mother's death at all and be, like, very focused on her husband getting killed and like we'll deal with the mother thing later but for now she killed her husband and that's the main thing but the defense wasn't having it they're like no that's the second dead body and a huge element of this case you can't just brush it away right that is really stupid (laughs) defense is also like i'm sorry did y'all say that she killed adolf so she could marry maurice bordarell well 
Let me get Maurice back up here real quick. Ask mm-hmm. him a couple questions. Hey, Maurice, did you ever give her any reasons to hope that you would marry her? And Maurice says, oh, No, I, I cannot conceive of any. There was no thought in me of marrying again. I did not want to raise my youngest daughter with a stepmother. So the defense is like, There's no conceivable reason why Meg would have thought, Oh, I'll kill my husband and then marry this guy who doesn't even want to marry me. Mm-hmm. Also... Do y'all think seriously that a widow entrenched in a sensational murder trial was somehow going to be a better prospect for a bride to a guy who didn't even want to marry a divorcee? Like, nice try. This falls apart the moment you look at it. So you got nothing. This is dumb. If it was this, then it was that. And this and that don't make sense. So I rest my case. (laughs) We're done here. Dung, dung, gavel, gavel. We all want to get home in time for dinner. Come on. (laughs) We're French. We love dinner. Yes. And, and it dinner, takes a long time to eat. It takes six hours. Yes. We need a lot of time for dinner. It's, it's almost it's almost two o'clock. <laughs> it is time for dinner. They're putting down the bread basket right now. <laughs> so the jury goes to deliberate for three hours. Marguerite is in tears. She's meeting with people. And everyone's telling her, your acquittal is at hand. Any minute now, you're going to be free. I, you know, it's going to be all right. But it's just taking a long time. And guards at the courthouse are asking her to sign her autograph on pictures they have of her, which she thought was sweet. She said, like, oh, these, you know, they're just, they're going to go make a lot of money off of these. Oh, okay. She was like, you know, sure, I'm, I'll help them it. out. Okay, yeah, okay. sure, I'll sign my picture for you. Because well, either way, however the case turns out, it's that's going to be money. valuable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A bell rang. She stands up. Someone tells her the jury has summoned the judge. And the room goes silent. Slowly, people trickle in. But even that takes hours. And she's so nervous about the silence because everyone's all cheerful and talkative up till now. So now they're all being really quiet. They must be suppressing really bad news. A guard whispers to her, I've seen this before. You're good. You're totally acquitted. I can tell. But in the corner of the room, she overhears two others saying, Oh, she's done for. No way the jury would have summoned the judge if they were going to acquit. Plus, they would have known by now. Mm -hmm. So she's hella nervous because if she were found guilty, she faced execution by, uh, you guessed it, la guillotine. Oh, no. Still in 1908. The last guillotine execution was in 1977. That's bad. They were using it for a while. And even then, the last execution was in 77, but they didn't officially outlaw it until 81, at which point they outlawed all capital punishment in France. So they went from (laughs) chopping people's heads off to, you know what, let's just not kill them. How about none of that? I think we overdid it for long enough. (laughs) That we can just take a break from the whole thing for a couple a while. hundred years. We're good. Yeah. We scratched that itch. <laughs> At 1.30 in the morning, the bell rang twice. Then a horrendously loud uproar deafened Meg. She couldn't understand what was happening. Then she started hearing people say, Acquitted! 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 It was all a blur. She was. Walking out of there, a free person. That case totally fell apart. Mm. But we're left with the question. Who did it? Who did it? Who killed them? Who the fuck killed these two people? What was it all about? And why? Yes. There's so many pieces left over. I mean, the case fell apart. It doesn't seem like Meg did it. But we really are left with a lot of questions and pieces to pick Uh, apart. So 
We're going to analyze this evidence real quick. Mm -hmm. Take another short little break. As soon as we come back, we're going to break it down. Yeah. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. All right. Welcome back to the show. And now that we're back, we're going to have to pull this train right in to Speculation Station. Oh, yeah. Because there's too much left after this murder trial. There's too many questions. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we don't have a lot of the answers. Mm -mm. Part of it is that there are definitely newspaper clippings of the time. There's a lot of information. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. There's plenty of info you can get. Um, But a lot of the circumstances that we have surrounding these murders come from Meg's own autobiography, which, as we've pointed out numerous times is, uh, uh, you know, she paints herself in, in a special light. Yeah. She's a <laughs> bit of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. As so, most of us probably are about our own lives, but still. 
So there's just a lot of questions left over. And one of the key things, one of the key pieces of evidence, which Meg brings up so much in her autobiography, and then it just kind of drops off, is this pearl necklace. Yeah. Right? That she got from the president. Now, it's so interesting to me. She makes a biggest deal out of it as we did. What is this necklace? Why did the president give it to her? What are its origins? Why is it so scary and dangerous to everyone who talks about it? Why did that guy want it disassembled and taken away in parts? Why did he want it so bad? Um, but I think maybe even more to the point was all of these documents that the necklace was with. Yeah. So that's why my speculation station is that this German guy arranged this home invasion oh my god because we know he already knew where their private rooms were he knew Uh about the tapestry Uh uh-huh the you know murderers or the home intruders she said were there Uh uh-huh asked specifically for the jewels so they were probably really asking where's your safe with all the good stuff in it right she he knew she still had some of those pearls and he did want those 10 pearls yeah and when he found out she ain't selling them he got to get them some other way Uh I don't know. I just think maybe there's something to it. So you're thinking this guy, like, learns about the pearls, Mm -hmm. goes in, scopes out the house. Yeah. Realizes, uh, she's she's got sharp eyes. I'm not going to be able to get in there. She knows who I am Mm -hmm. also. I got to handle this differently. So I'm going to hire, you know, some hands Mm -hmm. to go break in. I'm going to tell them where everything is. Somewhere in the process, maybe unintentionally, maybe maybe the, it was just one of those cases like in the movies where they hire some idiots to go in and do it, and they screw up and end up killing a couple people. Oops. They're like, oh shit, we better get out of here. They leave the key. They, they don't get all the jewels. They don't get the papers. You know, after they kill an old man and old woman, they're like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Mm-hmm. They probably disappear, never even see the German again. They probably take what jewels they did steal and- Hightail it out of there. And that was that. And then, you know, took off. We, you know, probably ran away to Italy or something. We never saw him again. Mm-hmm. I, I mean. It, honestly, I it know. makes as much sense as any of the stories Meg told. <laughs> Seriously. So I'm just like, I don't know. I know France and Germany. I don't know if they were allies or whatever at that time. Whatever foreign prince was he related to the Kaiser or something. Do you know what I mean? And like this German guy is like, I need to get this proof of this necklace mm. like wiped from existence for whatever reason I see, let me go I trace see. these pearls you know maybe he's he's working for the working for the government maybe so well, i mean maybe. i'm a speculation like... station i can say all kinds of things in here <laughs> this is an international incident <laughs> this is a... obviously i yeah. mean well she thought so she thought it was yeah. a foreign prince involved or some gambling thing with the necklace sure this yeah necklace. so i'm just like i don't know it's pretty intense Pulling out of the station, just wrap up Meg here. She's free now, right? Mm-hmm. She's free to go. She, The courts ruled that she did not kill her mother and husband. But Paris was not as welcoming to her as they once were. The court of public opinion yeah. had a very different idea, I guess. The world's cruelest court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were kind of still split down the middle about her innocence, and she didn't really have the, the reception that she once had in Paris. If only you'd killed your husband through a blowjob, you'd still be popular. <laughs> then we'd be fine. <laughs> we'd be okay with it. So she decided, you know what? All right. I think my time in Paris is done. And she moved up to London. She took a new name, Madame de Serignac, just to avoid, right. you know, the association of 
the many stories that she's accumulated over the years. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> hey, ought you the blowjob, woman? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yes. Here we go again. At least she didn't call me the woman who killed my mother and husband. Oh, yes, no, that one too. Oh. I forgot all about that. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Merde. <sighs> but in 1912, Meg wrote her memoirs, the autobiography we've been speaking of throughout this, widely considered to be, as we said, whitewashed, cleaned up, embellished accounts of what happened, especially between the time of the president's death and the death of her husband and mother. That sort of time in between people are like, this doesn't line up. Mm. This is all her kind of justifying her own crazy actions <laughs> that she took during the trial. Because mm. she says in the autobiography, it's regularly written like, I hope the reader understands that when I say this, you know, this is what I meant by it and stuff like that. She's She publishes notes from the trial, like other people's notes in the book. Wow. And is like, let me break it down for you and say what I meant when I said this. Things like that. It's She's very clearly like trying to make a puff piece about herself. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. You're writing your own autobiography. You can make yourself ho- sound however you like. Right. And we're going to take it with a grain of salt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we're going to sniff around your book going... Smells faintly of bullshit. Getting a little bit of bullshit here. Just a whiff. Smack of bullshit. I'm getting notes of cherry. (laughs) A little bit of bullshit. But in 1917, she did marry again. A man named Robert Brooke Campbell Scarlet, 6th Baron of Abinger. And he died 10 years later after they were married in 1927. And Marguerite lived until 1954 when she died in a nursing home in Sussex at 85 years old. So quite a life. She did pretty for good. For she did. She kept herself out of prison. Herself. Mm-hmm. She found herself. She married a baron. She married a baron. A baroness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. It's okay. You know, I just, I, I think Marguerite is a kook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she's uh, an embellisher. I think she's mm-hmm. got a lot of crazy stories that probably don't uh, hold up historically. I don't think she killed anybody. I don't think I think that either. I, I feel like she, I, it seems far-fetched. Yeah. It's really the mother that throws the whole thing out the window for me. I agree. They seem to have a fine relationship. Right. And it's not right. like she was like, thank God my mom's dead. I'm yeah. sure she was really sad Yeah. about yeah. that. I mean, yeah. wh- whether or not she was sad about Adolf, like that's up right. in the air. But yeah, the mom is weird. Um, I don't know. She just got tangled up in something, and uh, I think she was really bad at trying to to overcorrect it in her favor. You yes, know? she definitely went about it the wrong way. Yeah, she should have just been like, you know what? I don't know what happened. All I know is I woke up. I was yeah. tied up. I was naked. Hopefully, that was her. She went to bed naked. I don't know why she was naked. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she just slept naked, and we don't have these weird, random robbers that are like. Also, strip all her clothes off first. Yeah, I don't know. So she won't run into the street? I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, maybe she just went to bed naked. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it just it seems like it would be easy enough to make a bumbling criminal movie where they get hired by some guy to right. steal a necklace. Yeah. And he tells them there should be three people in the house. Yep. The husband, the wife, and the daughter. Yep. And then they went in and they saw an older woman and an older man and yep. a younger woman yep. in the daughter's room. There you go. Maybe they were even like, we know he's a polite German guy. Maybe he was like, well, do not, don't hurt the daughter. You know, yeah, just right. A, a little kid. Oh, she's sure. Only 17. Yeah, straight orders not to kill her. Yeah, that's that what I think. So he's like, tie her up so she can't, you know, run around and get you caught. The other two do whatever you want. I don't care. If you have to kill him, you have to kill him. I don't care. Get me that necklace or those documents or both or whatever uh-huh. he's looking for. 
And so they they were like, okay, well, we'll ask the daughter where the safe is. We'll take care of everything. And yeah, she just got mistaken. As she even said, as we said in part one, she even said she didn't want to marry Adolf because she said people would think she was his daughter. She was his daughter. So she even said that. That lines up too with the fact that she said she heard the woman say, finish her off. And the guy said, no, no, leave the girl alone. Leave the girl alone. That's what the boss said, you know. Oh, man. I'm willing to ruin her life and prospects of marriage if I don't get this necklace, but don't kill her. That's too much. Uh, President Macron, I know you're listening. Uh, (laughs) We think we might have busted this case wide open, so give us a call. (laughs) Will you? I know Macron is a longtime listener, Mm -hmm. um, yet to be first-time caller, but I know he's going to call in at some point. He's going to send us an email. Got it. And you know what, President Macron? Or anyone, you can email us at <laughs> romance at iheartmedia.com. Right. Or slide into the DMs on Twitter and Instagram. Sure. I'm at Diana Might Boom. I'm at Oh Great It's Eli. Or if you don't want to hit us up directly, if it's some sort of like legal thing there, that's fine. You can go ahead and hit the show up <laughs> at Radic Romance. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we just want to add, you know, kind of clean up the paper trail some here. You can also call us, but we'll put our cell phone number uh, directly. We'll, we'll mail it to the French government. Yeah, we'll mail it to the French government. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't answer numbers I don't know, so. Yeah. <laughs> but if I do get a number on my phone from, from France. France in the next couple of days, I will answer. I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> so. Oh, man. What a story. Marguerite Steinile, uh, too much for one episode. Thanks for sticking with us through two parts because right? this is a two-part story. She had a lot of love, <laughs> a lot of ridiculous romance going on in her life. It's almost like, you know. Spread it around a little, Marguerite, because, you know, some of us get to just have a president die while we're having sex with them. Some of us have our husbands and mothers murdered. You know, you're spread the stories around a little bit. Okay. You don't get both of those sensations. You got so many sensations. That's a lot. But she was a lot of a person. It's true. You know, she had a lot going on. As she said, she could never just sit in dumb resignation. <laughs> That's true. And she didn't. And she did not. I don't think dumb resignation ever found her. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess good for you. Hey. I guess. She lived a life. I mean, she did some weird shit, but I don't think she deserved to go to jail for murder or anything. So no. I don't think she got away with anything. Yeah. I yeah. feel like she just had a really wild. Really exciting. <laughs> life worth writing a book about. Yeah, so, for sure. For sure. Good for you writing yeah. that book. We definitely liked reading it <laughs> or scanning it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, if you want to read her autobiography, it is on Project Gutenberg for free. So you just Google it and all the whole text is online. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't have to steal it or anything. It's just out there. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so excited to hear from you again. And uh, we look forward to the next episode. Yeah. See you next time. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work.